Hello listeners and welcome to Retrospective Replay Episode 7, a serialised podcast taking a deep dive into video games. This is Season 2, Metal Gear Solid. My name is Ian and with me tonight, as always, is the fabulous Michael. Hello Michael. Hello Ian. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm not too bad. Just trying to, trying to avoid COVID. Getting my second jab on Thursday. Uh, yeah, weather's a bit miserable, but otherwise can't complain. Well, it's due to get better during the week. Um, how do you feel about the controversial Euros final? Why was it controversial? Well, there was some controversy in it, wasn't there? When the captain fouled, when he pulled on the shirt. A lot of people saying he should have been red card. For pulling someone's shirt? People... I mean, that's no, no. It's a yellow card. Also, he wasn't the last defender, so it's a yellow card. Um, I don't think it's a red card. Um, yeah. You know, it's sport. It was decided by a penalty shootout. You know, that's never a fair way to, 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 to decide a, a game. But I think um, on the balance, the better team won. Well, what else can you do? You can't just have extra time forever. It's not Rocket League. Well, yeah, well, you can. <laughs> <laughs> just extra time until someone scores. Yeah. Anyway, enough about that. It's not what we're here to talk about. No. We're here to talk about games, and I guess we'll start off with socials. So, again, Twitter, at Retro Replay Pod, Facebook, Retrospective Replay Podcast, Discord's open, don't think anybody's joined yet, um, No. and the competition is still going. So, competition, I can't remember if I've been saying the rules, I mean, they'll, they'll be in the tweet, but of course, it's just follow us, like the tweet, and retweet it out, and then at the end of the season, I'll take everyone's names, put them into a spreadsheet, do some Excel wizardry, and we'll pull out some names and send out some prizes. Cool. Can I enter? Mm, no. All right, fair enough. <laughs> I'll get my own I'm, I'm, prizes. I'm not going to enter either. Nah. Get your own prizes. Not beer. Oh, uh, yeah, I wouldn't mind beer or a, a retrospective replay beer mug. That would be yeah, nice. Oh, that'll be good. Yeah, that'll be good. Maybe we'll have to buy some of them and give some of them away next time. Well, I've seen another thing like, um, is it Dungeons and Dragons? Some place was doing a. They were selling like a, a wooden beer mug with silver around the edges and stuff like a. Uh-huh. I can't think of what the name for it is. Like a. Like a stein? Yeah, something like that. A flagon? Could be that. A flagon a of horn? cider. No, it wasn't a horn. Might be a flagon. Maybe we should get retrospective replay horns. Drinking horns. Maybe. Three foot drinking horns. I'm horny for retrospective replay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Maybe we'll try that one. Um, I, I feel like I may have done a bit of a of a mess up here. How so? Um, well, with, with starting, what I didn't realise was because, you know, I'm just save stating my game and loading the save state every time so I can bypass the loading screen because I'm clearly that impatient. But I had to actually load the game properly for this one. And when you load the game properly, it gives you a bit of a nice breakdown as to where you got with a yeah. couple of pages of text. And that could have been a good way to start things, but it's fine now. We've got this far. We, we are probably three quarters through the game at this point. So I think we'll just carry on as we are. Yeah, I don't think there's a lot of gameplay left, really, to be honest with you. I think there's a lot of um, cutscenes and stuff. 
a lot of dialogue left, I think, yeah. But that's fine. That's, that's great, to be honest. Suits us well. Okay, we load the game. If you're like me, you'll load your save state, or if you're doing it like Michael, you will load it from a memory card. And we resume back on top of Comms Tower B, and we need to make our way towards the snowfield. I believe that Otacon had phoned us just before we saved last week, didn't he? Saying that the lift was on its way. Well, first of all, before I go down, though, um, I took your tip. You know, you said you went and got the body armor, so I backtracked yeah. and got myself some body armor. I went down the stairs, um, over the walkway, down the other tower, you know, through past the dogs, through Psychomantis layer to the lift down, and then got the body armor and ran all the way back. I just thought it was worth it. It's a bit of a trek back, though. It, it was. It was a bit of a trek back. What I'm finding with that is um, I like to keep my rations selected, and obviously in my item um, hold, you know, you got your, mm. your items, you got your guns, and I, and I like to keep the rations selected because when your life hits zero, as long as you have rations selected, it automatically uses a ration, meaning you don't have to, and there's not a chance you might waste some ration because if you heal yourself with a ration, when you've only lost some health, you obviously you've wasted the, the, the last bit of health because it'll only take you to full, it won't take you over. And what I found with the body armor is that I've died once or twice because I'm expecting myself to heal automatically, and I'm not. Uh, even when you take less damage. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm used to it now. It's fine. Uh, so, yeah, went back, um, and we go to the lift anyway, this lift that was coming back up to us. So we have to call the lift, and it takes a while to arrive, but eventually the doors open, and as we get on, there's a warning buzzer sound, and Snake, is, he's like a god, isn't he, at this point? He goes like, huh? huh? And then there's a, a question mark appears above his head. And we move to the panel, like you always do with the lifts. And there's only two choices now. There's either floor one or floor nine. And we're on floor nine. We have to move down to floor one. Hit the button, lift starts to descend. And as the lift descends, the codec rings and it's Otacon. He needs to tell Snake something. Continuing on, he says he had five camouflage prototypes in his lab. He had one, meaning they're a fourth spare. And he went back to get one for Snake, but find out they were all missing. Additionally... When Otacon went to fix the lift, there wasn't anything wrong with it. It was just as if somebody was intentionally holding it on the ground floor. Mm. Snake asks Otacon if when he was riding it, the weight limit warning went off. And Otacon tells him yes, but since he only weighs £135 and there's a storage limit of £650, there is no way that it would have set it off. So I've done some previous quick maths for you there. So it's... £650 minus £135 leaves us £515. So Snake notes that it would take at least five people to go over that limit. And I tell you what, £515 is not a lot. You could do that with, you could do that with like just two or three bigger people, really. You don't need five. Yeah. Uh, Otacon then starts to put the pieces together and he warns Snake to look out. The guys who stole the stealth camo on the lift with him. The codec closes. And the men shout, too late, Snake, now die. Too late, Snake, now die. And the music duel begins to play again, and it's kind of a, it's more of a demi-boss fight, this, isn't it? Yeah. I'm surprised at how they got into the lift, though. Because when you got into the lift, then you, uh, you know, they're not there. No, they're not there. I tried to sort of set up some weapons previously, you know, because I knew what was happening. So I tried to set up some claymores, and it goes. So I tried to set up some C4, and it goes. And I'm like, ah, okay. So the game Not stops good. you from putting anything where those guys are going to appear. Yeah. 
Maybe they're just really good at moving around, you know, like as you run around, they're like moving around snake and jumping around. But I thought they were maybe came down from the roof or the, the top of the lift. But... but no, they had to be on the lift, otherwise the weight limit yeah. wouldn't have triggered. Anyway. Anyway, you know, it's just it's that little bit of video game logic. It's fine. You have to fight these four guys all in camo they never come out of camo it's not too hard to see people in camo on a like monitor screen like you said on a crt it might be harder to see them if you put the thermal goggles on obviously they're very easy to see because the, the heat detection shows on the goggles but then you can't use your body armor of course yeah and it's easy enough to see them the shimmer yeah it's pretty clear what I like is, when you're fighting them, if you knock one down, there's a potential, large potential for them to knock other people down with them. They're like their colleagues, their comrades as it was. So I just, I thought, what did I do? How did I do it? I think I threw a few stun grenades, tried to knock them out, and then I kind of tried to throw a couple of normal grenades in the corners because the explosion would take out loads of men, but it's quite easy to hit yourself. Yeah. So I think in the end I pulled out the FAMAS. That's what I used to FAMAS and just started spinning like a, a whirlwind of bullets. Because <laughs> they're all around you, and then, if, as you say, if you knock one down, they knock the others, and then you can. Then you're focusing on not everyone trying to get you at once. Yeah, that's exactly it. I mean, they are quite tough men, though. It, you have to knock them down probably half a dozen times each, don't you? It's quite a lot. Yeah. However, it does make that elevator ride seem extremely long. Well, it's nine floors. <laughs> uh, yeah, I suppose so. Maybe it's a very slow lift. After Snake beats the men, Snake breathes a sigh of relief and the lift reaches the bottom where we can disembark. Running around the base of the shaft will net you some items, some rations, some ammo. So to the bottom right, there's a door which you have to leave by and the corridors look pretty much the same as the ones of the corridors that we went up the other tower in. And it's, But only this time, there's a couple of gun cameras around so you just throw a chaff grenade and you run on through. Yeah. You exit the door and you end up in the snowfield. There's not really anywhere to go if you can run left and right, but as soon as you start running up, it's shot from a sniper, and then you can see through the scope of the sniper. The codec rings, and Snake crouches down all while the sniper's pointing at him, and it's Otacon, and he wants to ask Snake if he's okay. What I want to know is how does he know? How does he know that Snake was shot? No idea. Maybe he's got, like, a telemetry of his vitals, and he can see it. Maybe. And what did he notice, like, blood pressure drop? or yeah. heart rate increase or who knows but yeah it, it seems that a lot of stuff happens I know they said oh, at the start you remember they said we have satellites that can see but obviously they couldn't see inside the facility and clearly the snowfield is outside maybe the colonel can see maybe the colonel or anyone else has not had any interaction with Otacon have they no but maybe uh, yeah I don't know video game logic it's fine it's explainable well, the other thing is that Otacon may have been nearby and, and saw it because he's got that stealth camouflage, even though Snake told him, what, you know, to stay back and he'd go and handle things. Um, yeah. And what happens later on, he must have been close by anyway. So it may be the case that he's behind him somewhere or, you know, in the distance and he could see it because he went down. That makes a bit of sense, yeah. So Snake talks to Otacon and he wants to know if there are any more stealth camo units. Otacon tells him no, but asks why. Snake tells him someone is aiming at him in the blizzard. Otacon quickly realises that it's Sniper Wolf. She's been waiting there for Snake. Snake tells Otacon that he sounds happy, but he refutes this, but begs Snake not to kill her. He tells Snake again that she's a really good person, which, I mean, you know, she's a sniper who kills people, she can't be that good of a person. No. Surely. However, Wolf jumps, is listening, and she jumps in on the conversation, stating that she can see Snake and she never quits the hunt. Snake tells her she must be good to hit him in the storm. 
She replies, saying that Snake should have believed her when she said women make better assassins and that she's near. Snake then reminds her that it's a mistake for a sniper to reveal her location. She tells Snake that she's going to send him a love letter, a bullet, straight from the gun to his heart. Do you remember that Plan Perfecto song? No. Bullet in the gun. Kind of. When I hear that, I always think of that song. It was very popular on um, what was a Dreamcast game, MSR Metropolis Street Race. That was featured in that. I think. I think yeah, the the song hadn't been out for that long by that point. No, it reminded me. Of, it reminded me of is it Bon Jovi? Shot through the heart, and and you're to blame. You give love a bad name. Yeah, so that, it reminds me of that. Um, and MSR eventually morphed into Project Gotham Racing. Um, by Bizarre Creations, it's a little thing. I don't know. I don't know if people have played it before. Probably not. I don't think it was that popular. At least not on the Dreamcast. I've heard of Project Gotham Racing, but I never played it. Otacon then jumps into the conversation, but Wolf tells him to stay out of the way. Snake tells her she's going to pay what happened to Meryl. So it's another boss fight. The music duel starts to play again, and we're in a snowfield, and it's very similar to the first fight, isn't it? Yeah. If you look on the first person view, you can't see anything, can you? You have to use the sniper rifle to actually see down the range. Oh, okay. So how did you get her? With the sniper rifle, of course. Oh, no, 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 no. What you want to do is to go in the corner and get the Nikita missile launcher and then just guide the missiles and you can... Because the missile launcher as well picks up the targets so you can see her and then just fly it and she's standing there and you just blow her up basically as many times in the back and whatnot. Ah. So you don't have to be messing around with sniper rifles. He's just using a Nikita rocket launcher. Sneaky. Yeah. And she doesn't shoot the rockets. Nah. She doesn't even know they're there until she's hit. It felt oh, like a bit okay. of... Um, it seemed a bit unfair, but that's yeah. the game. Well, fair enough. I mean, it's a mechanic of the game, right? I hit on the left-hand side, um, which meant it kind of blocked the view of half of the map. So if she ran left... I couldn't see her, but she also couldn't see me. So when she ran back right again, I would just shoot her and she'd run away. Yeah, I hid, I went on the far right-hand side of the map. There's like a mound and stuff in front of you, so I don't think she could really see me. I didn't get shot at all. So I just right. I just shot um, rockets. <laughs> Fair enough. That's not a bad thing. Did you call anybody? Um, No. Right, I I did, as, as, as normal. I, I called a few couple of people. So Campbell tells you to use the PSG one. He doesn't once mention the Kita Rockets. Master uh, says the most important tool to be a good sniper is good senses. If you phone Otacon, Snake asks where to get ammo, but Otacon says he can't tell us. And then Nastasha tells us it's unusual for a sniper to announce their presence before they shoot. And that this battle won't be as easy as before. Well, you know, spoiler alert. For you, it was much easier. And for me, it was it was fine. It was definitely easier, I think. Yeah. So we beat Wolf and we get the normal more health and more ammo. Mm. And we can, we, there's no way to really go. Just run up forward and you get another cutscene. Sniper Wolf is lying on the ground, breathing very heavily as Snake walks up to her. She tells him she has waited for this moment, that she is a sniper and waiting as part of the job. She states that she is lung shot and cannot be saved. I looked up lung shot and I think it is just literally being shot in the lungs to where they stop working. Maybe you might, uh, might fill up on your own blood, you might drown. Quite grim. Doesn't sound good. Wolf then asks Snake to finish her quick. Being a kid, she wants to die in a peaceful place like the snow field. This game seems obsessed with that, isn't it? It says, like, you're a kid. You're like, 
You like to eat bread because you're a curd. You like goat milk because you're a curd, you know? That's how it feels. It just feels really out of place. Um, it then moves on to Wolf's history. She states she was born and raised on a battlefield, that gunfire, sirens, and screams were her lullabies, that they were hunted on a daily basis. Each morning, she would wake up to find more family or friends who had died. She says that governments of the world turned a blind eye. However, she was saved by a man called Saladin, and then Snake identifies Saladin as big boss. Yeah, I feel sorry for her. She's obviously a victim of war. Um, you know, her mm-hmm. life and her home and stuff was taken away by war. Yeah. And Saladin as well is an interesting term to use because Saladin was the guy who led the, the Muslim military campaign against the Crusaders in the 12th century. So uh, in the, the battle for the Holy Land between the Crusaders and uh-huh. uh, Muslims, they, the Christians, Christianity against Muslims for the Holy Land, uh, Saladin was the military leader and then I think later on became like the ruler of, of all of that kind of area. I don't know why she called Big Boss Saladin, though. Not sure. Might be get explained in another game. I can't can't remember now. They probably explained it in Metal Gear Solid Five. Oh, I played that. It was about four years ago when I played that now, so I can't remember. But maybe I should play through again. But anyway, Big Boss took her in as a sniper. She then joined the Foxhound Group to take revenge on the world, but she has shamed herself as she sold her body and soul for vengeance. She then compares herself to a dog, not a wolf. And do you think Snake starts to feel sorry for her at this point? Yes. I think he feels sorry for her and I think he respects her as well. Well, yeah, because he says, well, he attempts to put her at ease and says that wolves are noble and that she's still a wolf. And then he makes a speech about the yuppic in the Kenley Choir or something. Keglenic. Keglenic or Keg- something, isn't it? Keglenic, yeah. Um, he says, in yuppic, Keglenic is a wolf. He states that people like him are known as dogs of war for being hired guns, but she is different. She's untamed and solitary. She's not a dog, she is a wolf. Yeah, and he's like, wolves are noble creatures. Snake tells her she saved Meryl's life and she will die as a proud wolf. So he stands up and draws his sock on, but have you noticed there was no suppressor on it? Where did the suppressor go? Uh, no idea. <laughs> well, I guess because what happens, it just wouldn't be as dramatic, would it? I suppose. And as he draws his gun, someone can be heard crying, and it's Otacon. So maybe, yes, maybe, yeah, he was watching. He probably was watching, right? If he's then come running over. Because he deactivates his camo and falls to his knees, asking why, stating that he loves Sniper Wolf. Wolf reaches out towards him, wanting her gun, and he takes it over and lays on top of her. She then asks Snake to set her free. He points the gun at Wolf, and then Otacon turns around, covers his ears, and says goodbye. And the screen fades white, and the camera pulls up, and we hear a gunshot. Goodbye. So I suppose if it had been a suppressed gunshot, it wouldn't be anywhere near as dramatic, right? No. The scene then moves on to Otacon and Snake are standing over Wolf. He tells Snake that he said love could bloom on a battlefield, but he was unable to save her. Snake puts the handkerchief back over Sniper Wolf, stating that he doesn't need it anymore and is returning it to his owner. Otacon asks why, and Snake replies, saying that he's no tears to shed. Changing the subject, Snake tells him that they're out of time and he needs to go to the underground maintenance base. Yeah, I I think the quote that he said is, I don't have any more tears to shed. So it's not that he's... 
he's a heartless person. It's just he's done all of his crying. Yeah, do you think? Yeah. Snake tells Otacon not trust anyone and protect himself. However, Otacon still wants to help and will hang on to his codec. Snake then tells him he can leave any time to avoid the bombing if he fails to destroy Metal Gear, and that when he leaves, he needs to make a fresh start on life. I mean, in in game terms, he's known this guy like about 90 minutes. Yeah. It it seems a very deep conversation to have with someone you just met. Well, I think part of it is because Snake knows you can die at any moment, so you've got to make everything count. (laughs) I don't know. Yeah, it is. (laughs) Yeah, I know you could be right, though. Maybe, you know, all this war kind of might, might instill something in them, you know. As Snake walks off into the darkness, Otacon shouts back at Snake, asking him what Wolf was fighting for, what he was fighting for, what Snake was fighting for. Snake stops. He turns around and tells him, if we make it through this, I'll tell you. And Otacon says, like, okay, I'll be searching too or something. I I think it would have been better without that line, to be honest. But then we go back to the gameplay, and we can run around the snowfield. And next to us, there's a level 6 door that we need to go through. But to the right of that, there's a level 7 door. But we can't go through there yet. But there is some level 6 doors around the place. So I assume you probably explored these other doors. Yeah, so hangars or storage sheds or whatever with like equipment and rations and stuff. The, we've got one important thing out there. What was that? The cardboard box C. Oh, yeah. It's a box. So do you know how to use the box? How do you mean? Do you know how to use them? They can fast tra- if you go into the back of a truck. Yeah, so there's a truck there in the snowfield, and I think Box B takes us back to the nuclear facility storage area, and Box A takes us back to the heliport. Now, I took the box back to the heliport, and I'd put the pad down to do something, and what happened was it pulled up and I hadn't moved, and as the guard walks past the truck, even though I haven't moved or done anything, he goes, huh, what's that? Ah, just a box. Like, as if it was suspicious. So this truck has walked, like, came in, with a box in the back, parked up, nothing's moved, and then Mr. 180 IQ has decided that box was suspicious. Well, maybe he's been hurt by boxes before. <laughs> Do you think, maybe? Maybe. So really, there's nowhere else to go now, apart from through that level 6 door to the underground base. A couple of gun cameras, throw a chaff and go down the stairs, and for a second I thought I died because it hits the, um, the insert disc 2 screen, which is exactly the same as a death screen. Yeah. There's one thing actually in that snowfield. On the mm-hmm. right hand side, if you go against a wall, there's yeah. a parachute you see a parachute in the tree behind you. And he rings Campbell to say, Oh, there's a chute there near the hind D wreckage. And, and then they have a conversation about, Oh, do you think liquid uh. survived? Um, and then Snake's like, or it's that, it's that, or he's sending us a message that he's going to string me up. Because he, he makes it that, you know, he said, how would he gotta have got out of the helicopter? The blades would have chopped him up quicker than an onion on an infomercial. Um, <laughs> right. So, yeah. Because I think that's, I think it, it just came up to me because that's where I was kind of fighting Sniper Wolf. So when I was done, I was against the wall. And then he looked behind him and right. saw the parachute. Ah, Interesting. I've never seen that before in all the times playing the game. No, I don't think I did the first time I played it. No, that's 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 great. Nice catch. So when we get onto disc two, there's a long stairway in front of us going down and the music blast furnace is playing. 
As we get to the bottom of the stairs, we are in sort of a blast furnace, sort of smelt works type of area. Yeah, with liquid molten metal. Looks like um, End of Terminator 2, doesn't it? Yes. Spoilers for anyone who's not seen Terminator 2. I mean, you've only had 20 years. No, more. You've only had 30 years to watch that. Well, I don't think it's a spoiler because it's <laughs> only a spoiler saying there is a Terminator 2. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I suppose it's not a spoiler telling that's in Terminator 2, but yeah. Yeah, if you haven't seen Terminator 2, you know, go watch Terminator 2. Watch Terminator 1 first, though, because Terminator 2 won't. Terminator 1's just not as good, though, is it? I mean, this is a rare case where the sequel seriously is better than the original. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'll agree with that. Did it's you still ever, a pretty good film. Did you ever play mm-hmm. the Terminator video game on the Sega Mega Drive? Is that the side-scrolling yeah. one? Yeah, I think I did. Was that the Terminator versus Robocop? Was it? It could have been. Might have been Terminator versus Robocop, I think. Anyway, we digress. It, 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 for, for American listeners out there, that would be Genesis. Okay. They were going to call it a Mega Drive in every way, but they couldn't name it a Mega Drive in America due to like a like a VCR or something, so they had to call it something else, so they ended up calling it the Genesis. Ah, uh, okay. That's, that makes sense. See, it's all connected. It's all connected. Anyway, the metal works, yeah. We're in the metalworks and there's a lift right in front of us that we can't use because it's sort of down at the bottom and there's no way to call it. It's just you go in it and it moves up and then moves down again because it's at the bottom. We can't actually get in it. And there's a guard in front of us, so take him out probably with a so-called pistol. And the only way around is to kind of shimmy across the back wall, across a small ledge. And as we do this, there's a hook that passes up and down. So you have to kind of shimmy up and then crouch down and the hook passes over you and stand up and continue, although I got hit by the hook the first time. Did it knock you off? It knocked me off and I fell into the uh, molten steel. Did you die? <laughs> he died, but as he dies, he, he sticks a thumb out the air. <laughs> what <film? laughs> and he doesn't. What, what is that from? Is that a parody or something? So there's some more stairs to move down once we get to the top. And there's another guard, so easy to take him out again using the so-called pistol. And there's two ways to move from here, up or down. So down takes us to kind of like a steam pipe corridor and you end up under where we originally started. And there's just a couple of items and some gun cameras. It kind of seems like a pointless area, really. Yeah. So if we go back through the corridor and move up, the music stops and we're back to some wind sounds. And we are in front of a diagonal lift. And do you know what the, the actual name of these diagonal lifts are called? No, what are they? Funinculars. What? A funicular? A funicular, yeah. You also see them on Resident Evil 2. There's a funicular in that when you get to the close to the end of the game. I can't remember if you just have to be doing Leon's story or if it's also in Claire's story. I think it's probably both, to be honest. I think there's also one of them in um, Streets of Rage. Yeah, I think you're right. I can't remember yeah. which Streets of Rage. Might be two, but yeah, yeah. I think there's a funicular in Streets of Rage, yeah. So we have to use the control panel and the lift starts to move down. Then as it moves down, there's a really small cutscene. Someone shouts, there he is, and three men run from up top and jump down onto the lift. And we get another battle, which is just like the kind of just like the previous lift battle, but it's a lot bigger. I'd say the area is probably four times the size. Yeah, and they're not camouflaged. They're not camouflaged, and if you can, you can hit them, and they'll go over the side of the lift, and it's obviously like an instant kill. Which is a, a, a game mechanic, again, I think similar to Streets of Rage. Yeah, probably. But if you yeah. go over the edge, you instantly die too. Ah, did you go over the edge? No. Oh, no, I mean in, in other games, I didn't go over the edge. Oh, I don't know, yeah. I'm, I'm assuming that you would. Yeah, you probably could try, try and knock yourself over the edge with some explosives. That'd be interesting to try. 
So as we get to the bottom, we disembark, and if you move right too fast, there's a gun camera there which can get you. So you can avoid it or throw a chaff grenade. But then I started running around the outside of the room, and cheekily, there's some mines placed around the outside of this next room. So I got blown up as I was running around looking for items. You know, it should be a giveaway the fact the radar's jammed, to yeah. be honest. You know. However, there's a second finning killer. So we jump down, well, we go to it, get on it, and press the button, that starts to descend again. And as it descends, there are crows that swarm around. And did you try to shoot the crows at all? No. Also, I don't believe they're crows. I think they're ravens. Sorry, yes, they are. They would be ravens. So I, I tried shooting the crows because he like locks on with the gun, but they don't seem to die or anything. Yeah, I'm not sure if they're real crows or they're just in your head crows. They look like they're real. Ravens. Ravens even, yeah. <laughs> As this descends, eventually the codec rings and it's Miller and he has some information on Naomi. However, he wants to know if the line is secure. Snake tells him that the monitor is off and asks what's up. Miller states that he was also in the FBI and he says that the story about Naomi's grandfather is a lie as he was never an assistant to Edgar Hoover. He states that she might be a spy but then Snake calls it ridiculous. Miller says that it's obvious Hoover was a well-known racist and wouldn't have had a Japanese assistant. He says there wasn't a single Asian investigator plus in the 1950s Mafia undercover operations hadn't started yet, and that was in the 1960s in Chicago and not New York. Miller tells Snake to check it out, that the chief and the president both died mysteriously, plus there's a ninja running around which adds up to a lot of strange things. This Master Miller guy seems to know he's, he's onto something here, I'd say. Snake then asks Miller if he thinks Naomi is behind it, but Miller doesn't know for sure and thinks that she could be working with terrorists. He tells Snake to be careful, and if he finds out anything else, he'll call. So yeah, as you say, it sounds like Miller is a... Uh, it's good that he's looking out for Snake as well, though. He's a pretty, he's a pretty knowledgeable guy, isn't he? Pretty good guy, yeah. So what kind of... These funiculars, where do they... What, what, what's the purpose of them? They're, are there lifts that are specifically for places that have a slant? My guess would be is that you could put heavier loads on a regular lift because going up as opposed to going diagonally takes a lot more energy to go upright and the funicular can be bought to a track so it's safer yeah well here it says a funicular is a form of cable railway which connects points along a railway laid on a steep slope two counterbalanced cars are permanently attached to opposite ends of the haulage cable which is looped over a pulley at the upper end the two cars move in concert as one ascends the other descends so it seems to be for things that are at an angle. And I think if you look at how those those elevators are descending in this, it's descending at an angle. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Definitely. But I don't think this has a counterbalanced cause. I think it just goes up and down probably just with, yeah. a, with a motor pulling it from, you know, from the top or whatever. So as we reach the bottom, the temperature has dropped and you can see snake's breath, much like you're outside. And there's a blue tint to the screen. So there's not really many places to go. You know, it's one area with a couple of items behind some boxes. But So we move up through the door. And it's in one of that cutscene. Snake walks into a cold room and is swarmed by ravens. Then the camera cuts to Vulcan Raven. He's on top of a crate and he's carrying a huge Gatling gun with a kind of a backpack of ammo on his back. But it's massive, isn't it? Yeah. And he welcomes Snake as Cossack, which, from what I could tell, is an alternative spelling to Cossack. Yeah, the Cossacks who were in the cavalry of the Tsars of Russia. I think it's from a, what, Southern Europe or Southern European Russia, Eastern Europe, yeah. Yeah, U- Ukraine, Belarus. I think it's an alternative. I think the Russian is Cossack and the Ukrainian is Cossack. 
it's a historical term for the formerly, I think, free warrior peasants of chiefly East Slavonic descent. Yeah, they lived in, especially in Ukraine, and they served as cavalry under the Tsars. It's a strange term for them him to use on him, though. Cause, it is a strange term. Yeah. Unless he seems to know something about Snake. That Snake doesn't know himself. Well, I think that later on what he says about his history and stuff, maybe that's linked to it, because he says he... You know, your ancestors from the Mongolian plains and the Mongolians are well-known warrior, horseback riding mm-hmm. people. Well, yeah. So anyway, he tells Snake it's the end of the road for him and then asks the birds on their opinion. They make some noise and Raven says that they agree. At this point, did he say to you, how dare you kill my friends? No. Right, so he said that to me, probably because I was trying to shoot them on the lift, even though it didn't like it was hurting them. Uh, then when I hit this bit, I thought, oh, I wonder if it did actually hurt them. Yeah, he didn't say anything to me like that. He then tells about the ravens. He says that they aren't scavengers, that they just return things to the natural world which are no longer needed. Snake then changes the pace and asks him if he was the one in the M1 tank, and it must have been a tight fit for such a big guy. Raven laughs and states that wasn't a true battle. It was just a test, but the ravens say he is a true warrior. Then you get a kind of a light from Raven's head that goes towards Snake and the screen fades white. Then Snake asks if he's hallucinating and states he can't move. Which I didn't know what that was about. Is it like the raven's like judging Snake or something? Yeah, because then a raven sits on his shoulder and he's like basically reading his mind or something. Campbell said that he was a shaman, right? Yeah. Vulcan says, the raven has put a mark of death upon you. And then he notes that the blood from the east flows within his veins. And maybe that's what he means by the Cossack reference? Maybe. He continues talking, stating that his ancestors were raised on the plains of Mongolia, that the Inuit and the Japanese are cousins, sharing many ancestors. Then they talk about the Eskimo Olympics. Yeah, this was a very weird conversation. Yes, it was. Because he starts saying, oh, you know, you live in Alaska too, you know of the World Eskimo Indian Olympics. And I had a look at this, and it is a thing. Um, It started in 1961, and it's... It happens annually, and it's got a multitude of different mm-hmm. types of events meant to keep the culture and practices or survival skills of, of native people or people who are live around the poles. And it's kind of the sports or the games are, are, are linked to things like hunting and survival techniques. There's some very interesting ones. I mean, in a moment, he, he refers to something else, but there are things called ear pull, toe kick, uh, muck tuck eating, a lot yeah. of things. And, and, and Snake makes the comment to Vulcan he's like oh yes I know it uh, you must be a real threat in the mock tuck eating contest and I was thinking is he sarcastic here but that's also a thing the mock tuck yeah. eating is a, is a thing and mock tuck is again it's a traditional Inuit food it's kind of frozen whale skin and blubber yeah doesn't sound very good but I'm thinking you know in that cold weather and in survival having fat very fatty food like that because of the amount of calories you're burning just to stay warm um, yeah. it's probably very important uh, well important part of people's diets but i was thinking first of all does this raven guy not get sarcasm but then actually i don't think he was being sarcastic no because he just says yes i am yeah. i am a threat at the muktuk eating competition yeah then and like you say that yeah pulls he says that tests spiritual and physical strength and says that this battle will have the same heart Snake then says it's not a sport, it's just killing, and then the battle starts. This is one of the more interesting battles, I would say. Yeah, I tried to use again my Nikita, but it's very hard because he seems to be able to turn around and see it, and he shoots the missiles before they hit him. Right. So yeah, it worked a little bit, but then he seemed to, every time I shot it, 
you land a couple of hits, but then he seems to turn around and shoot them himself. I did notice he has incredible long vision. Yeah. So he can see basically down the entire warehouse. I mean, maybe this is the sort of vision cone that the regular but like enemies needed, but I don't know if the game would be too hard at that point. Yeah. So he runs around, so you're in a warehouse and there's loads of crates, like stacks of crates, and there must be probably must be four by four or four by five, there's quite a lot. Mm. Uh, he's got like you see he's got a massive vision cone, he walks around, but he kinda shoots the gun wildly a bit, doesn't he? Yeah, and it damages the crates and stuff. Yeah, and when his health gets low he starts to run around. So the way I tried to beat him, well the way I did beat him, was I put a lot of clay more mines around the area. Okay. I didn't think to do that. And he just ran around, kept running my mines, and I didn't really have to do much. You know, you can shoot at him with the gun or whatever. I used a stinger missile. Right. So if you come behind him and you have time to lock on, you can shoot it and get him. Or if you lock on, it'll lock on to him through the crates and you wait for him to come around the corner. He will shoot you then, though. But you can get a shot right. off. Um, uh-huh. And he can't shoot the stinger missiles. Yeah, and like you see, we shoot some crates and eventually they start to fall over and drop a couple of items, don't they? Yeah, but they also fall over and block the way, so you can't go yeah. through the, the the spaces are blocked. But overall, it's not a hard boss. No, it's not. It's I thought it was harder first time around when he was in the tank. Yeah, just getting close to him yeah. probably was. Yeah. So when we get his life to zero, we get another fading cutscene. Raven is out of breath and supporting himself on a wall with his hand. He speaks and he says it's just like the boss said. His own existence is no longer needed in the world. However, his body will not remain in this place. His spirit and flesh will become one with the ravens. He shouts at Snake, stating he'll be watching him. As Snake approaches Raven, he hands him a level 7 security card. So that means we can now backtrack, doesn't it, to that level 7 door back in the snowfield. So I'm quite interested to see what might be in there because I honestly can't remember. Snake asks why... But Raven tells him that him and the boss are from another world, a world which he does not wish to know. However, first he will give him a hint, and then we'll go back to the Dorba chief in the cell having his heart attack, and Raven continues saying that it was actually decoy octopus, so there's the big twist. Yeah, so basically what he said is that decoy octopus is a master of disguise, and he copied his subjects down to their blood, so basically he killed a Dorba chief, drained his blood, and put it into himself. Which seems a bit excessive. Well, and, and also, you know, surely his body would reject the blood if it wasn't the same blood type or compatible with him. Yeah, and he, but he says he wasn't able to deceive the angel of death, which there must have been something in the Dapper Chief's blood that uh, Decai Octopus wasn't expecting. Snake wants to know why he went to so much trouble, but Raven won't give any more information and that he must solve the rest of the riddle himself. The conversation continues, but then we see Raven getting eaten by the birds, but they, they keep talking over that. And he tells Snake that the path he is on has no end. Each step he takes is paved with the corpses of his enemies and that he will have no peace. Then Snake turns around and Raven is gone, eaten by the birds. And all that's left is his gun on the floor. Did, there, was a kind of a, there was a kind of a weird sound in the background when he was being eaten. Do you know the sound that Sonic makes when he spins? Yeah. That's what I got. If you listen back, that it, yeah. Well, you get that a lot, but it's it's like when the camera changes, you get yeah. that sound all the time. Yeah. You know, that happened with like with Darwin Chief and stuff. Every time the camera like swaps around, you get that sort of sound. Yeah, yeah. I know I exactly what you mean. I hadn't noticed it before. So we drop back to the game, we get a life increase, but then the codec rings and we're taken straight to the codec screen. And it's Master again. He wants to talk about Naomi and asks Snake to turn the monitors off. However, this time Campbell jumps in wanting to know about her. He states Naomi isn't there and she's taking a short nap. 
Master continues saying that Dr. Naomi Hunter isn't who she says she is. He checked out her background story and says there was another Dr. Hunter who disappeared in the Middle East. The current Dr. Hunter somehow managed to get a hold of her papers. Campbell asks who she could be and Master goes back to the theory of her being a spy and she may be there to sabotage the operation. Campbell asks if she could be part of the uprising and is with the terrorist organisation due to the fact she's working for Foxhound. Master says maybe or she could be with another group. And that's when Roy kind of, he hints at another group, doesn't he? Yeah. But he doesn't really give her any information. Miller jumps back in saying that she needs to be arrested and interrogated. But that's when Snake wants to know what Roy meant. But he says it's nothing. So once again, he's hiding more things. And Snake really picks up on this. Yeah, because Miller says, have you let her in on some sort of vital secret or something? And Campbell just doesn't reply. And then he says, does it have to do with the mysterious deaths of the DARPA chief and the Armstead president? And... Campbell again says, oh, I have no idea. Mm-hmm. So he's definitely hiding something. Because then Master doesn't want her to continue on the mission, but Roy says that they cannot complete it without her. Snake jumps back in, stating that he says he knew Roy was hiding something. Master tells Roy to investigate and to find out who she is, and he agrees, but then tells Snake he needs more time. But then this is where Snake's lost faith in Campbell, hasn't he? Yeah. Telling him that he has no more time for him. And then that's it. We drop back to the game and we call Mei Ling. So, Michael, what has Mei Ling got for us? Mei Ling had a quote that was very, um, she said, in China, they say it's better to live ugly than to die beautiful. She says, I think that's true. Once you're dead, you'll never have another chance to be happy. Um, and she says, I can't understand people who want to die before their time. And she says, please, Snake, come back to me. Or, yeah, promise me that you'll come back alive. So, yeah, basically, you only have one life. I mean, you got to make the most of it, regardless of, of what hand you're dealt. And it's better to live ugly than to die beautiful. That's my Link's quote. 